The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. I'm your man, Jacob Goins, here on the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Hope you're all doing well at the start of this brand new week. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7. Well, we've got some uh, college football to react to today here on the Monday edition of On the Line. (laughs) Of course, we're going to talk Auburn as they squeak by San Jose State on Saturday. We're also going to talk about all of the games that happened over the weekend. And of course, we would love to hear from you and what you have to say about everything that happened over the weekend. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. Carter, how's it going? You and Jack Cudden had a great show Saturday night on After the Game. You guys did a great job. I called in, had my own little partaking in it, and uh, you guys did a great job. It was fun, man. It was it was it was a good time. It was once we got rolling, it really. Uh, I I I thought we uh, had had fun. We had a few callers. Um, I think we have uh, adopted Kansas State as the official second team of after the game. For, yeah, for the unofficial official second team. <laughs> Uh, because they're they're going to be a lot of fun, but uh, it was a late night for you guys. Of was. course, you guys didn't get on the air till a little bit after ten, so you were done a little bit after midnight, right? I think you started around ten, 10 15, fifteen, yeah. And so we went to about twelve fifteen ish, right? Right. Well, so this week you'll have a little bit earlier, but make sure you guys tune in every Saturday right after Auburn football games. Uh, the game this week is at two thirty, so I would guess you guys would be going live what maybe 6 30 6 30 somewhere around there but Probably. tune in right here on espn 106.7 it's the after the game show with our own carter bird and auburn high sportscaster jack hudden after every auburn university football game this season they'll provide post-game analysis and take your calls live from the espn 106.7 studio after the game is presented by urgent care clinic open seven days a week no appointment necessary and no wait time get better with urgency at urgent care clinic in auburn that's the after after the game show you guys did a great job week one you'll have a little bit earlier show this time uh, as Auburn plays Penn State this week we're going to get to that later on but Auburn on Saturday they played San Jose State and here we are after week two and I think I feel worse after this week than I did in week one you you can't feel better I mean nothing nothing you've seen through two weeks should give you more confidence going into this Penn State than you had before the, the the season started, before the season started, having watched having having watched Penn State on that Thursday game, after that I watched them beat Purdue when they should not have. I came out of that game thinking Auburn's going to beat Penn State, and now I didn't. I don't. I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way anymore. Right. And that's it. That's how I felt too. After Penn State and Purdue played, you felt good about Auburn's chances at home Penn against State, Penn State. Penn State doesn't look good. Right. And that game was handed to them. And Sean Clifford is still Sean Clifford. And Sean Clifford is still bad. Gen- I, there was an interesting quote when I was watching uh, B- 
because I just like to, for some reason, watch the grossness that is Iowa football these these first two weeks. I was watching their their game against Iowa State, and after Spencer Petras had the thousandth uh, three and out drive on their season already, that he's coming off the field and he's getting booed in his home stadium, and the color. Um, announcer i forget who it was he had a really interesting quote he said you know a lot of these quarterbacks that have been here for three plus years at a school they're starting to um maybe wear out their welcome with the fan bases they're starting to patience is starting to wear thin and they cited sean clifford as one of those that's pretty true and sean i mean all these like spencer petrus sean clifford they're all the same guys they're not good quarterbacks but I have to think that Sean Clifford is going to be the best of the three quarterbacks that's going to take the field on Saturday in Auburn. Yeah, and, you know, of course, like I said, later on in the week, we are going to get into this game, Auburn playing Penn State, because when you look at the schedule for week three, it's one of the best games on the schedule, and it should be with the name. It's probably the best game. I, I think it could I'm, be. I'm starting to think, I'm starting to think Miami might do some work against a They might. They might, but... And the reason we have this this concern is because of how Auburn looked against San Jose State Saturday night. Yet again, we saw quarterback struggles. Yet again, we still don't know who the quarterback is for this team. We don't know if Auburn has a capable guy to be the quarterback for this team. I'm not confident in that. I'm really, really not. I don't know if Auburn has a dude to run the or to to run the offense and win football games against high quality teams. I think I've uh, having watched all of these games this weekend. <laughs> I think I've come up with a new tagline for the 2022 season. Welcome to 2022 college football. Everyone's awful. And then a little star at the end and fine print. It says, except for Georgia. Except for Georgia, who is now the number one team in the country in the new AP poll. It came out yesterday. But Georgia's number one. Alabama is what? Three? Ohio State two? Is that correct? I I think so. I have... Alabama is two. Alabama Ohio two, State Ohio State three. three. Okay, that's right. I knew Georgia was one. Michigan A&M is still is ranked four. somehow. Michigan four. Texas A&M is still ranked. I think that's just ridiculous after losing to App State. Uh, there's some craziness on there, but obviously Notre Dame fell out of the ranks. They're 0-2. And uh, there's as some – should be. Yeah, as they should. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But they Georgia is now the number one. Week. They might lose this weekend. I just saw as we were coming on air. Their starting quarterbacks out for the I season. I saw that out for the season. Yeah, yeah, I did. I saw yeah. that. Yeah, I saw that. So but, uh, he's out like four months, something like that. So obviously the yeah. season, but yeah, he's out for like four months. I don't. I don't remember what the injury was, but coming, yeah. So coming crazy back to the Auburn game, I I don't feel good. I secondary at times struggled again. I, yes, I don't they love did. That. I it's starting to feel like teams are coming after uh, Nehemiah Pritchett. Coming after Jalen Simpson to a lesser degree. As they should. You're starting to see there's too many P.I. penalties. Some of them are kind of ticky-tack. But but across college football, pass interference is being called a lot stricter this year, I feel like. Because I see it in every game, some some questionable ones. And it's just, it's almost like there was a, a directive for, for the officials. Like, hey, make this an emphasis this year. I'm concerned. And something that worries me with how Auburn performed against San Jose State, first of all, I think, and you and Jack brought this up on on the After the Game show, something that we should be thankful for, and I hate to put it this way, but it really is true, something we should be thankful for is that Auburn won on Saturday. 
because they did. They won. It, it was nasty. It was ugly. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't a whole lot of fun. But Auburn did win on Saturday. And there's about four teams right now around the country that would really like to say that that can't. And so I think that's important for us to remember is as bad as it has looked and as weird as it's been and as confused as we are as we're coming into week three, Auburn is 2-0. and And I think we should be somewhat grateful for that just because of how crazy college football has already been. Now, with that being said, to start the San Jose State game, the penalties for Auburn were terrible. And I mean horrible. And it was so bad where you were just you just put your hands up and you were like, what are we doing? What is happening? Where where's the discipline? You and know, you just didn't see it. You know what was surprising is your senior captain, your fifth year senior captain on offense. John Samuchanker. Racked up a ton of penalties. We've never seen Which is that. very uncharacteristic of him. He had three on one drive, I believe. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean it was it was there was a lot of at times, sloppiness, um, things you did, you get a little reckless with the football on offense. You put each quarterback put the ball on the ground once, got them both back, and then each quarterback threw a pick. Frankly, scared me half to death when um, Keontae Scott fielded a punt surrounded by San Jose mm. State players on the bounce. He made a big play out of it. He put the ball on the ground at the end of that return. Yep. Everything about that was risky. I just like it just didn't feel you you wanted coming off last week when you felt like, okay, Auburn got what, twenty six point win, but it never felt sharp. You just wanted to look sharp. And Auburn didn't look sharp. And that's and that's concerning as you head into because it's go time from now until Western Kentucky. Yep. And then you get Alabama after that. But your power five the rest of the way almost with that one Western Kentucky blip when, heck, Western Kentucky could score points. So don't sleep on them all the way. But you you have Penn State, LSU, Missouri, Georgia. I mean, it's go time. And I don't feel like you've played a full, complete 60 minutes, a sharp game yet. And that's concerning. It's concerning on both sides of the football. That's what is bad is you can't even have – right now you just can't have a ton of confidence in the defense where we thought we would. Okay, coming into the season, again, I talked about this. I was confident in the defense. If there was a question mark, it was the secondary, and yeah, here we are. It's the same thing we talked about last week. The teams went right at Auburn secondary because they have no idea when the football's being thrown their way. I just don't – it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because they're getting thrown at, they're getting pass interference calls or yet they're just getting beat because they're not even turning around trying to make a play on the football so teams are going to attack them and we've seen that through two games now offensively yes it has not been pretty tank and jarquez hunter are fantastic and i love that and i love that auburn has them because if they didn't they may be one and one right now if auburn didn't have tank bigsby and jarquez hunter running the football yeah you have two quarterbacks like you said they put the ball on the ground they also put it into the hands of the defense once each which were not pretty yet again robbie's was really bad it felt like when you watched that game it felt like auburn had the second and third best quarterbacks in the game and it felt like Auburn at best had the third fourth or fifth best receiver in the game that's another problem too is even if even if TJ or Robbie 
we're getting better throwing the football and and we're running the offense the receivers have struggled also they're not getting open they're just not making plays they're not making it any easier on the quarterbacks right now i need somebody to tell me where is camden Brown? <laughs> yeah he's, he's standing on the sideline watching he's the preseason according to fall camp i mean should be the preseason dark horse to win the Dagum Bolitnikoff Trophy. He's the best receiver anybody's ever seen as a true freshman at Auburn, according to all the buzz. And then he doesn't. I don't think he has a target through two weeks. And again, the question becomes: Is this a game plan? Is this a strategy for Brian Harson to hold some of these players out? If it is, I don't like it, and I don't like where this is going because you can't hype these guys up through fall camp and say they're having just a fantastic camp and then not play them unless you just didn't believe it or you you liked them in practice but you're not confident in their in-game ability I don't know but there's a lot of question marks right now with Auburn with their performance against San Jose State with how the offense is running because it is not pretty and on Saturday coming out of the second or coming out of halftime coming into the second half this had really really bad Georgia State vibes this got to the point where I was starting to think Auburn could actually lose this game. Like, if they don't get it going and start doing something, they're going to let this game sneak up, and they're going to let San Jose State beat them. It obviously didn't happen, but in the I, second half, I didn't feel good. I didn't. I didn't feel that way. What, what I felt was the only point where I thought this game could get in doubt is Auburn gets the ball with, what, a minute and a half, two minutes left in the first half, and they're deep in their own territory and you know Auburn's going to get out there and try to throw the ball and go down and score, my fear was, okay, TJ had about a 10-throw stretch spanning two weeks where he was 2 of 10 with three interceptions. And and if you recall, before this season started, part of the big pros for TJ was he didn't turn the ball over. He threw one pick last year. He threw, what, one pick at Mm -hmm. LSU? Like, he has not turn the ball over a lot well three interceptions and 10 throws is not good and my thought was well we were in this position a week ago a week ago he got behind the chains he he forced a ball into he stared down a guy and forced a ball into a window that he should not have thrown the ball to and he threw a pick set put the defense in a bad spot they gave up a touchdown right before half my fear was if one of these quarterbacks throws a pick right here before half and San Jose is up 17-7, then, that, then I have serious doubts. Once the second half started, I really... Because you knew. You knew at any point in that second half if Auburn was down, they're just going to give the ball to the two best playmakers on the offense. But do you know Price that? Hunter and, and yes. Because because Harson said as much in week one that like if you, if you get behind in a game like that, you... Go to what what's working, and you quit trying to work on other stuff, and you win the game. I mean, yeah. I don't think I don't think Auburn. Once Auburn went to half down ten seven, I don't I don't think I felt Auburn was at risk of losing because yeah. because I, I did a little I, bit. I won't I lie. Felt, I felt that they were going to just run the heck out of the football and quit putting it in. It, worst case scenario, run the heck out of the football, get up. Defense was all I had to do was get get a few stops, and because I think you were you were good enough to, with the creativity with Robbie Ashford, with Tank Bigsby, with Jarquez Hunter in the run game, Damari Austin, who you saw rip off a big one that for mm-hmm. a second, for a second I thought he was gone. Um, with those guys, 
I thought you're good enough in the run game to to kind of suffocate this San Jose State team. We're going to talk about this game and all of the other week two games in college football when we come back. 334-321-1390. We'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on Auburn's win over San Jose State, plus any other game in week two of college football. More of On the Line when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back here on the Monday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Let's head to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Terry, happy Monday. How are you, man? How you doing, guys? Good to talk to y'all. Yeah, we're we're here, man. That's 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 about all I got right now. We're here, <laughs> Terry. Terry, well, I, I can't I, wait for 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 this because I have a general idea of of where we're gonna go with this this call. Well, have you guys ever experienced a win that felt like a loss? Yeah, because that's what it feels like. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree, man. And like I said, that's why I said we should be thankful that we won. But I hate to have to put it that way. Uh, yeah, I mean, when when you have a weekend where. Nebraska, Notre Dame, Texas A&M all lose to capable G5s. I mean, you, you're you glad that you at least come out with a win. But, yeah, I mean, I come out of this game feeling worse going into this Penn State game. Like, I I am feeling about as bad about this Penn State game as I've felt at any point this offseason. Well, I talked to some friends of mine that attended the game Saturday. You know, I talked to them Sunday, but they were at the game Saturday. And they said coming out of the game, there was a small – group of people that were very loud they were very unhappy there and yeah and they, he said he told me that if they lose to penn state you could see a group of fans start turning on brian harson and stuff and, and what i told you guys for a year and a half is going to come true i could see that i think if if auburn looks the same against penn state how they have the first two weeks they'll lose and then auburn fans are going to be they're going to be in question i don't think that they'll be calling for his job quite yet but it's mm. definitely going to be there. The heat will be turned up big time just because this is a Penn State game where it's not an SEC game it not, and you don't want to lose it, right? But it doesn't have those implications on standings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think some people are expecting, even coming into the season before Auburn took the field, there were people expecting Auburn to possibly lose this game anyway. So maybe that could save them a little bit, but if they look bad, it's not going to go well. Terry, I, I think people are going to be restless if Auburn loses the uh this game on Saturday but I don't think it's I don't think it's fair at two and one to call for his job yet now if he find if if this Auburn team finds a way to let a loss to Penn State beat them the following week against against Missouri or end up losing to a bad LSU team two weeks down the road then yeah I think I think there will begin to be a legitimate dialogue in the Auburn fan base Guys, it really depends on how they look. If they do, if they look, if they look competitive in a loss, but if they make Sean Clifford look like a Heisman candidate again, <laughs> right? I mean, th- th- that's that's uncalled for. And and the guys, it's got to, because I believe it's about the overall direction of the program. Yeah, and I really believe that 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 you know maybe Harson has, but look, guys, T.J. Finley couldn't be the starting quarterback anywhere but Auburn right now. I'm sorry, the kid maybe he's a wonderful kid, and he's gotten better at certain things, but he's still not the answer. And and Robbie Ashford, I don't know, if he's the answer either. But at least at least the guy deserves a series. Not, not did he play two plays in a row? 
I don't know. Again, I don't like what they're doing with this two-quarterback system. It feels like 2017 Clemson game where they just keep shuffling them in and out, and if you blink, you're going to miss who the quarterback is. Robbie threw a pick, and then you don't let him throw again. Right, exactly. And and all we've heard... The sample size is 10 passes right now. And all we've heard is his confidence gets shattered as soon as he makes a bad play, and yet you don't let him come back and make up for it. Give him an easy completion, and give him... That wide receiver screen. Let him put the ball in a playmaker's hands, a wide receiver's hands, because we don't. I don't feel like we're we're seeing the receivers catch any passes hardly. Put right. the ball in their hands. Let him build it back. Maybe even if it's running a screen pass or a swing pass to the back, give him a couple of those throws, and let's see if you can build the confidence back and he can show you something. But three throws in this, three passes in this game. That's not enough to tell anything in my mind. It, yes, one's a bad throw, but we've seen multiple bad throws from T.J. Finley already this year. Right. I right, sure you have. Last thing, guys. Uh, remember when I told you guys a couple of weeks ago before the season started that Brian Harson be careful not to fall in love with what he wanted as opposed to what he needed? Mm-hmm. I think you're seeing that. I think you've seen that happen. He's trying to force T.J. Finley on that team because he fits the style of play he wants to do. Doesn't matter what you what you what you want to do. You better do what you need to. It might save you job. I agree, but Terry, I think we're we're getting into territory where I don't know who that answer is because we thought it could be Robbie Ashford. Obviously, we haven't seen enough of him throwing, but a bad interception on Saturday doesn't he, give you a he, lot of confidence. He didn't look good. I mean, so far, neither quarterback has impressed. I mean, and so what's Robbie, the answer? Robbie can run, and that's the impressive part of his game. TJ at times can string together a, a series of passes that looks pretty strong, but it's too inconsistent over four quarters. I mean, it's shocking to me that with the level of quarterback play you've seen through two games, we haven't seen a single snap out of Zach Calzada or Holden Gurner. Just because mm-hmm. it feels like it's Auburn's if, – if this is the level of quarterback play Auburn's going to get for the 2022 season, it's shocking that it's gotten to this point. And you should not have let Bo Nix get out the door. Yeah. Jack, if I have the answer, you got rid of Frick, now get rid of Frack. Take care, guys. (laughs) See you, Terry. We appreciate the call. That's Terry here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Look, uh, Terry, he he came up, he had the point where T.J. Finley couldn't be a quarterback anywhere else but Auburn. He could be the quarterback at Iowa. Could be. But the problem is, okay, the problem is you go through fall camp, you have a legitimate quarterback battle, a quarterback competition, and T.J. Finley wins. He comes out as QB1, quarterback one. Nobody else was able. He came in with the job, but nobody was able to come in and take it from him. Yes. So with, what that means is nobody behind him is better than T.J. Finley. So that should worry you. And what we've seen is T.J. Finley have bad performances already. He has three picks in two games. You've seen very, very little of Robbie Ashford, and when he does throw the football, he had a pick on Saturday, and it was not good. Yeah, it was a a bad throw. It was a bad throw. But you have so little confidence in Zach Calzada, which is mind-blowing. I just don't even understand how that's possible. You have so little confidence in Zach Calzada, or like Terry said, Brian Harson is just so locked in and, and committed to making T.J. Finley good that it's going to cost him his well, job well, because he, Terry's he, exactly right. If he if he leaves T.J. Finley on the field for Auburn through SEC play, they're going to go 3-9, and nine and they are going to lose if T.J. Finley doesn't get better or Brian Harson doesn't figure something out. I'm, I'm not sure 3-9 and nine is the... Is Who are they going to beat? Missouri's that bad. Seriously, like Missouri might be worse than Vanderbilt this year. They're that bad. Well, then but, four and eight. <laughs> I mean, I'm but, just 
I just I, don't no. know what the answer is right now because Look, you're not. It got worse Saturday from week one to week two. It got worse. I thought, I thought TJ at times showed a legitimate improvement. I agree. There were like his six throws to end the game, his six completions. You saw some stuff that that you like. You saw him layering balls over a linebacker and in front of a safety. That's a difficult thing to do, and he was making a few high-level throws. But my what I come back to to T.J. Finley is we have not seen a four-quarter performance from T.J. Finley since, what, his first start at LSU against mm-hmm. South Carolina? Right. I mean, he just at no point – there's – against a San Jose State team that you should be better than athletically at every spot. The passing game did felt it felt like it felt like the equivalent of running the ball right up the middle every single play because there's no explosive dynamic aspect. And you to knew the it wasn't going to go anywhere. And I I am scared of what it looks like on Saturday when this Penn State defense walks in and they stack the box and say, "Okay, Auburn quarterbacks, beat us with your arm." Especially T.J. Finley, beat us with your arm. We're gonna man up. We're gonna press everybody. We have we have a first round corner out here who's gonna eliminate one of your one of your receivers. Which I feel pretty confident saying that because we I, we haven't seen enough out of the Auburn receivers to 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 make me think anybody in that receivers room can beat Joey Porter Jr. one on one. And it's going to be beat us with your arm. And I'm not sure I've seen anything that is consistent enough out of these Auburn quarterbacks to believe that Auburn has quarterbacks that can beat Penn State with its arm. The performance on Saturday, it just it worries me. It, like I said, my feelings, unfortunately, have gotten worse from week one to week two for Auburn football because of just the lackluster performance on both sides of the football. Now, the offense is more concerning than the defense because we know there's a lot of talent on the defensive side. There's a lot of talent on the offensive side too, but it's just been so mediocre on the offensive side. And again, we're two weeks in where we thought, okay, this would be the point where by the Penn State game, we're going to have our starter. We're going to feel good. We're going to feel ready, whoever that man is. And yet here we are, and we have no confidence in none of the quarterbacks on the roster. None. All right. I'm going to make a comparison here. This this feels like the Diet 2019 team where the defense is significantly better than the offense mm-hmm. and I, and the offense puts the, the defense consistently in bad spots time and time again and eventually it's going to cost Auburn. Now, the defense isn't as good as 2019 and the offense isn't as good as 2019. It's not a good recipe. When like your offense has to be able to help the defense out, and it just doesn't feel like we've seen that through through two weeks. In week one, you put the defense in bad spots and and caught made them and allowed them in bad spots to give up points. This week, I mean, San Jose State dominated time of possession. I believe, yes. Yeah. And even was, on the defensive side, you saw San Jose State pick Auburn apart in between the numbers uh, in the middle of the field. San Jose State threw all over the yard. And that concerns me for Auburn on defense as well. In the first quarter, Auburn's defense was on the field for five minutes longer than the than the San Jose State defense was. I mean, and like you you can't do that. You you gotta you gotta help that that group out. Not a lot of confidence coming out of week two. We'll see how it goes. Joey Blackwell, Alabama Central, to talk Alabama, Texas when we come back.
are on the line with Jacob Goertz on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Well, as we do every single Monday, we have Joey Blackwell, Alabama Central, here with us on the Monday edition of On the Line. Joey, look, we got a lot to talk about today, my friend. And um, with the game that was on everybody's TV at 11 o'clock Central Time on Saturday, it actually ended up being a fantastic game, unlike just about everybody thought it would be. Before we get into all the details, just your initial takeaways from Alabama's uh, slim victory against Texas on Saturday. Yeah, well, you know, I was actually one, one of the few that actually thought this game was, as the week, as, as the beginning of last week, I thought this game was going to be a pretty wide open win by Alabama. But as the week got on and it got closer and closer, I kind of ended up changing my perspective. I thought it'd be a close one, and it ended up being one. I didn't think it was me that close, but I thought a seven to ten point margin was going to be it. But you know, I, I think what this proves is that this Alabama team. First off, it proves this Alabama team is vulnerable. Um, but then on top of that, I think this really shows how much of a turnaround Steve Sarkeesian has really done with this Texas team in just a couple of short years here. Um, there were some positives on both sides of the football. Um, obviously a negative for Texas is Quinn Ewers. A positive for Alabama is that their defensive line is still looking really strong against the rush. But I'm sure we're about to dive, out, dive into that in just a couple of minutes here. Joey, on offense for Alabama, the numbers don't blow you away. I mean, when you take away a, a, a Jace McClellan 81-yard rush, you only rush for 80 yards in the game on every other play. And then Bryce Young, at times, he struggled with that with that receiving core that still doesn't really look like, to me, anybody has stepped up as the guy. What needs to happen for Alabama to turn around this offense? Yeah, we know. I think it starts with the rush, like you said. Um if you take away that 81 yards, they only have 80 rushing, and that's on uh, 24 total carries. And of course, that includes and that includes scrambles by Bryce. That's not just running back. Mm-hmm. It's still 80 yards. So um, that's definitely not where we want to be, and it's definitely not what we saw from the Alabama team in Week One, where we saw you know uh, Bryce Young was the leading rusher, but we saw, um, which was fantastic. But we also saw running back core that was did not seem to really have all gears turning. Um, shifting over to the wide receivers, I like what I've seen from the from the, oddly enough. I like what I've seen from the running backs and their pass catching <laughs> skills. I mean, Samir Gibbs was once again the, the leading receiver. He had 74 yards and a touchdown, uh, the only receiving touchdown of the game. But as far as you know, as far as the wide receivers themselves, I was encouraged what I saw from Ja'Cory Brooks late. Um, I was encouraged what I also what I saw from Kobe Prentice, even though he only had four catches. But the big boys, you know, Trey Sean Holden and, and Jermaine Burton, really um, didn't impact the game as much as we thought they would. Jake McClellan, who had a really good week one against Utah State, only had one reception for two yards. Um, and I hit granted that was also his only target, but still, um, in order for them to improve, they really need to get this running game going. And then as wide receivers, they really need to get more comfortable. Um, I, it's, it's kind of funny that during the scrimmages, we heard that Bryce was really comfortable with the new wide receivers he had. We heard that he was mesh gelling really well with Jermaine Burton. Um, but the good news is that they should have, at least, you know, I'm sure there have been some reports out there that Joe Earl and Tyler Harrell will be back, you know, hopefully in the next four or five weeks here. And once that happens, maybe even as soon as the Arkansas game. And if that happens, they're going to really need that depth to add and hopefully shake up that wide receiver room a little bit. We're speaking with Joey Blackwell of Bama Central here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Joey, we talk about the, the offense a little bit. Let's look at the defense and then this team as a whole. We saw 
a very, very unusual amount of penalties from this Alabama team, especially on the defensive side, coming from guys like Will Anderson, who were lining up in the neutral zone, jumping off sides. What happened to Alabama's discipline on Saturday where we saw more penalties from a Nick Saban Alabama team than we may have seen ever? You know, I saw a lot of fans on online saying the noise or the heat must have gotten to the defense. Well, first off, the heat wasn't actually that bad. It wasn't any different than you'd really expect from Alabama uh, morning and, and midday. And as far as the crowd noise, you know, typically when the defense is out there, the crowd is actually quieter because their offense is, you know, on the field at work. Typically that wouldn't really bother them. But, you know, I think, um, I think there were definitely a lot of nerves involved. You know, Will Anderson is definitely a guy that, you wouldn't expect to jump off sides, much less you know commit a personal foul. You know, that, you know, kind of knock a guy over when he's down on his knee. That's not really in his character. But I think a lot of these penalties were a result of frustration, and and the pass interference penalties in particular had a lot to do with Alabama just really couldn't stop their passing game. They had a land. I know that Texas only scored 19 points on the day, but if Quinn Ewers had been in the game, I'm sure this is going to be a big narrative, <laughs> kind of like Cole McCoy, uh, 2000, the 2010 championship game, you know, or 2009. Um, if Colt McCoy hadn't gotten hurt, but now they can have a legitimate case with if Quinn Ewers hadn't gotten hurt. Who knows? We might be talking about an Alabama loss today just because of how Alabama really wasn't able to um, stop the passing game. And, and really, that's why we had so many passing appearances, because if they hadn't done that, there's no telling what the score would have been. Joey, kind of switching to the other side of the ball again, the offense. Texas's defense kind of got after that, Al- that Alabama offensive line, got a couple sacks, some tackles for loss and seven quarterback hurries, is this a, is this a con- concern for the rest of this year, this Alabama offensive line that, that last year had its struggles? Are they, are they going to have a similar type year where they struggle at different parts of the year with, with opposing D-lines? I think this offensive line is going to get better um, as the season goes on. We have to remember that there's a lot of new personnel and, and people at new positions, and it's going to take a while for them to gel. But that being said, I think... I do think it is troubling. Um, I don't think that there's going to be a repeat of that 2020 season that saw the line win the Joe Moore Award. But I do think it's still going to be an improvement over last year's line. It's just going to, it's just taking longer for it to develop than we thought we would. Um, the left side of the line was particularly an issue this past game. You know, you had Tyler Steen and Javion Cohen, who both are you know, outstanding tackle guard and guard in their own right, but just weren't able to get the job done. And we saw a really solid Texas pass rush. And then we couple that with Bryce seemed to be, you know, Bryce seemed to be very hesitant at running the ball, which is quite the opposite of what we saw the week prior. You combine all that together, and you're going to see those quarterback hurries, and you're going to see um, those, those sacks. So hopefully that's something that they can tweak, and they have a couple of weeks here against some opponents that hopefully will provide an opportunity for Alabama to hit that reset button. We have Joey Blackwell of Bama Central on the phone here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Joey, let's play everybody's favorite game, the what-if game. If Quinn Ewers doesn't get knocked out of this football game, what are the chances we're sitting here talking about Alabama being 1-1 one and one through two weeks? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I think they're pretty high, um, to be completely honest and objective here. Um, I think if Quinn Ewers hadn't gotten hurt, um, like I said earlier, we could be talking about an Alabama loss. Um, I think they probably could have gotten at least a couple more touchdowns and could have pulled away from Alabama in the second half had Alabama not been able to get it together. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, I kind of have my own criticisms about the whole Colt McCoy comment from the national championship game a decade ago. But when it comes to the Quinn, if Quinn Ewers hadn't gotten hurt, you know, this 2.0 scenario, you know, I, I really think there's a lot of uh, strong validity to that argument. 
Joey, these next two games, Alabama gets La Monroe and Vanderbilt. So shouldn't have an issue with either of these teams. But what do you need to see from Alabama in this two-game stretch before they go at Arkansas, A&M at home, at Tennessee, and Mississippi State? Because that's that's about as tough of a four-game stretch as you're going to see in this conference right now. Yeah, you know, I think you know Nick Saban highlighted two two primary lessons. There's a lot of lessons to learn from this Texas game, but there are two primary lessons that he pointed out in his opening statement, and one was discipline. Um, this team definitely needs to get its discipline under control. And and then the second point, which kind of ties with that discipline, is accountability. Um, I think that, you know, I think players need to hold each other accountable. Um, and with those two things, that'll definitely help, you know, grow the culture of the team and make them gel better, particularly on offense. But on top of that, you know, I think when we're talking, you know, X's and O's, I think this team really needs to strengthen its offensive line, which is going to have a couple of, um, like you said, a couple of opponents that will be great for them to do that. Um, but again and again, they're going to have to try really they're going to, have to develop in a hurry because this is an Arkansas team a few weeks from now that presents a really solid defense and a really good pass rush. Um, but then on the offensive side of the ball, they really need to get you know improve their running backs and improve their wide receivers. That Bryce needs to find more chemistry with his wide receivers and then with the running backs. They really need to find their guy. They haven't found their guy yet. I mean, Jameer Gibbs and Jason Clellan are great at pass catching, but they need to find a bell cow when it comes to actually running the ball. Um, it's fine to use two running backs in tandem um, if they're both successful, but right now that just hasn't been the case, and um, there's really not a running back in that in that room that anybody can really hang their hat on right now. And Joey, as we are through week two, getting ready for week three of college football, your reactions to what happened in week two of college football where we saw teams like Texas A&M go down, Notre Dame lose, uh, those types of games, your reactions to the SEC in week two? Yeah, Joey, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if you saw, but Matthew McConaughey did get a big win there in uh, South Bend as Marshall went in and got that big victory. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. You know, uh, I was one of the jokes I made after the game. I was like, well, you know, Texas lost, but at least Texas fans can go to bed with a smile on their face after the A&M win and the Marshall win. So, um, but yeah, you know, just quick reactions. I, I'm very glad that the Alabama game was an 11 a.m. game because that gave me plenty of opportunity to watch all these other games <laughs> happen as they panned out. The Texas A&M loss was obviously shocking. Um, the Marshall win at Notre Dame, you know, there's also one that people aren't really talking about is Washington State. You know, taking down Wisconsin, um, which Washington State obviously power five, so not quite as big as an underdog, but that's still a, a pretty big upset. And then you had um, you had Clay Hilton go to go to Lincoln yeah. and and get Scott Frost fired. <laughs> yeah, you have that one as well, and and it's just it's I I'm I'm personally a fan of chaos. I've always been a fan of chaos. I, I like for you know the scales to be kind of tipped every now and again to provide some variety, and then on top of that, it. I really think that this year, seeing that disparity kind of, you know, grow a little smaller. You know, I think we're seeing these small teams step up, and then these big teams that have been comfortable for a very long time are kind of slackening off a little bit and getting too comfortable, and that's what we're seeing. And it definitely provides for some entertaining uh, TV on Saturdays, that's for sure. And Joey, now that we are two weeks in and we've seen some SEC teams play really well, we've seen some play sort of mediocre, and we've seen some play not so good, what's a game on this Alabama schedule right now as we're two weeks into the football season that you have your eye on that could be a trip up for Alabama? Well, you know, it's, it's the same two games that I said before the season when we did our week-by-week previews. Um, I think that Arkansas game, I've been calling that game a trap game for quite some time. And with the way Alabama has been playing the past couple of weeks, I, I stand even more firmly by that. 
I think uh, Sam Pittman has done a remarkable job and has really built this this Hogs team up um, from the ground up pretty, pretty much. And they have a really solid offense and defense, and the, 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 all the pieces are falling into the right place for them this year. And then kind of transfer that over to Tennessee. I think Tennessee is the second potential trap game. Both of these games are on the road as well. Um, but Josh Heifel has created a really dynamic offense there in Tennessee. And, you know, I don't know if Tennessee fans are quite ready to – you know, buy back and, you know, think that their team is back yet. But, you know, a big win at Alabama could, you know, potentially revitalize that program. So I think those are two games that I've had on my radar since last offseason, and I still do. And I, I think they're going to present a lot of challenges to this Alabama team if they don't, you know, right the ship over these next couple of weeks. Well, Joey, we appreciate you and your time, as always, here on the show. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and everything you're doing with Bama Central, man. Absolutely. Everybody can follow me on Twitter at Blackwell Sports and as well at BamaCentral.com. Find all my works both there, as well as my co-writers, Katie Wendell and Mason Smith. Um, we, we have um, on all all the major social media outlets, we have, we're have we at Bama Central. And uh, thank you so much for having me. I uh, really appreciate you having me on. It's always a lot of fun. Of course, man. Appreciate well, enjoy, it, enjoy an easier week with uh, Lot Monroe in week three. That is Joey Blackwell of Bama Central here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Look, I think Joey is in the same boat as probably every Alabama media and fan where they're thankful they got a win on Saturday as well. And look, I said it was going to be, it could be closer. I thought Alabama would pull away in the second half, but... Carter, you swore up and down this was going to be a blowout, and I asked you, is there any chance this could be a closed ball game? You I told me no. So. I didn't think so because I thought that this I thought this Alabama offense, I thought the offensive line was better than it showed. I didn't think Texas would, because last year, I mean, they're on the team bus getting berated for how soft they are. I didn't think they were going to show up and – at times dominate the uh, trenches the way that they did. The Texas defense balled out all day long. I thought Alabama's receiving core was going to be better than what we saw. Uh, They look very, very average. And as a result, for large it was pretty reminiscent of the uh, Iron Bowl last year. Mm -hmm. I mean, Bryce Young looked pretty average until the very, very end back against the wall had to have a drive and he put something together. And I just, like, keep in mind, I mean, Texas missed a field goal that could have made this even more interesting. There was a lot to it. We're going to talk about it a lot more in the second hour. But, again, big thank you to Joey Blackwell of Bama Central. Always enjoy having him on the show and letting us know everything going on over in Tuscaloosa, getting his reactions uh, the, the very first weekday after the game. So we always enjoy having Joey Blackwell of Bama Central here on the Monday edition of On the Line. When we come back, we'll talk some Atlanta Braves to wrap up the first hour. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. On the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up hour number one here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067. Auburn up like a sports leader. Well, we have just a couple of minutes here left in the first hour. We'll talk some Atlanta Braves and... If you remember a couple of weeks ago, Carter, I actually talked about how the Braves, when they were taking this West road trip, playing what? They played the A's, the Mariners, and the Giants. I said they were probably Mm -hmm. going to lose one of those series just playing on the road and playing away from Atlanta, playing some tougher teams, and they lose the series against Seattle in disappointing fashion. 
Yeah, you had the you had the big ninth inning, and you had the chance to win the series and uh, stay what within within a game or a half game of the uh, Mets, and then you you blow a save, Kinley Jansen, uh, and you don't love to see it, especially when you did all this work to come back from ten and a half games to take the lead in the division. And then you kind of give it away by dropping the back two. And I guess a good Mariners team, credit where credit's due, Mar- the Mariners are good and they're going to be in the postseason and they are going to be a handful for somebody in the postseason. But, man, it just it felt like everything was going your way and then you stall out a little bit on Saturday and Sunday. Great start to the series, getting the win in the first game, getting the division lead, and then here you are, Two days later, you're back to a game and a half back of the Mets. Yeah, and again, it's it's a tough team that you lost to, the Mariners. And I think for the Braves, you just got to keep putting your head down and keep playing baseball and keep trying to, to, to win. They were on a winning streak before they lost two in a row to Seattle. They won the series opener and then lost mm-hmm. and dropped the final two. So you're still playing good. And they lost, I think, by a combined three runs. So not anything bad. Now you have to play San Francisco, who... It's a solid ball club before coming back home from this West trip. And I think this is going to come down to the wire. I think that this entire race for the Braves and the Mets, it's going to come down to that series in Atlanta. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. It's going to come down to that series. And the Braves better be ready because the Mets are going to be ready as well. I think the Braves can still pull it out. I would like to see the numbers on that and see what the percentage is of the Braves winning it as of right now. I haven't pulled it up yet, uh, but the Braves are still in a spot to win this division, and I think that's a positive sign for the organization coming off the World Series win last year. You come right back, and midway through September, you still have a chance to win your division yet again. Yeah, I just... I. I have concerns because just because it feels like that schedule is tougher on the Braves. You you need to figure out a way to to handle these these next two series. You you have a Wednesday game against Carlos Rodon out in San Francisco, and then you come back home and you host the Phillies. I think that's a tough four game stretch, and you you need to keep the Mets at uh, close enough that in striking distance that you can. Go on a run to close out the series, se- uh, the season, and win the NL NL East. That's what I'm looking for. I I really believe in this Braves team. I think that they are in a much better spot in terms of how they are playing than the Mets. Just because we've seen the Mets struggle recently against some bad teams, with the Braves have been hot until these last two games. Um, I lean towards. That Braves could win, can win this division. I'm going to lean 51% Braves. Just, okay, just okay. because, just because the, the schedule is harder. I think they're playing better ball. I but, think that's what it comes down to. Is yeah. the Mets have a lot easier schedule down the stretch because now the Braves have to play the Giants and then they start that crazy stretch where they play the Phillies, the Nationals, the Phillies, the Nationals, and then they play the Mets. So mm. a bunch of divisional games where in that situation, every single game matters if you're the Braves. Yeah, I mean, the, the Braves play, what, how many games against a team over 500? They play seven, ten games against teams over 500. The Mets, on the flip side, play six. And 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 that's the the story and that's a big me. difference down yeah. the stretch. That's a huge difference. I mean, you're like the, the Braves are playing more good teams. They're playing the Phillies for seven games and the Mets for three games. 
the uh, the Mets just have to play the they have to go to Milwaukee, who's fighting for their playoff lives, uh, and and for a three game set, and then they have to come to Atlanta for a three game set, and that's about it. I and then they they get their 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 nice candy series at in Oakland against a team that's legitimately not even trying anymore. It's just and I the Braves have, only had two games against them. Yeah, and and I I just. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough with the schedule. I think the Braves are playing better ball, and that's what I'm. I mean, that's what I want to see. As I, I want to see, can can the Braves stay hot enough to keep it close? Where that three game series, the second to last series of the season, that's where it comes down to. The Braves, they have an opportunity. Uh, they just do. That's what you have to look at. You have an opportunity. You have some big series coming up. Take care of business. Win some ball games. And come into that series against the Mets and try to win this division because I still think it's going to come down to that. You can't let up. You're only a game and a half back. Close it in and let's see how the Braves can finish out the year. That's it for hour number one. Come back for hour number two. So much more college football talk when we come back. ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. I'm your man, Jacob Goins, here on the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Hope you're all doing well on this Monday afternoon. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Albert Opelika Sports Leader. Halfway through the show, hour number one officially in the books. You know what that means. Hour number two officially underway right here on ESPN 106.7. Well, if you missed any of our number one, we had a lot of Auburn football conversation. We talked a little bit of uh, week one. We're going to get into more of that, or week two, excuse me. We're going to get into more of that here in this second hour. We talked to Joey Blackwell from Bama Central, got his take on Alabama as they pull out a narrow victory against Texas on the road. So if you missed any of that, be sure to find the podcast. Just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. You can find it uh, wherever you get it or at ESPNAU.com. Under the po- or under the podcast center, so make sure you go and do that if you missed any of our number one. But here in hour number two, uh, like we always do, we'll talk to Jacob Hillman from the Auburn Sports Network at 3.30. And we're going to have a lot of Auburn football conversation, a lot of week two football conversation here in this second hour. So if you want to call in, be a part of the show, we'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. Give us a call. Your thoughts, opinions, comments, questions, concerns about Auburn from week two. If you want to talk the NFL, anything on your mind, we'd love to hear from you 334-321-1390 and Carter let's jump right into making headlines here on Monday September 12th 2022 Auburn they beat San Jose State over the weekend by a touchdown but it was an ugly fashion my friend 
I tell you what, uh, maybe the the most fun moment was before we went on the air for after the game. Jack and I are sitting in here in the studio watching the uh, game, and I think it was I think it was Mark Jones doing play by play. And when the when the clock hit zeros, Mark Jones said, "And Auburn dominates in a twenty four to sixteen victory." And I was like. That's wait just a not what happened. Yeah. yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, I don't know. They had a lot of uh, missed calls on their names, and I don't know if their their rosters were wrong or their view wasn't good. I don't know what happened there, but uh, they struggled a little bit. But no, Auburn did not dominate on Saturday. Auburn squeaked by with a victory on Saturday. And like I've said before in the first hour, Auburn fans, you may not feel good about the win, but with how college football went, through two weeks, we should be thankful at least that they won. Auburn's 2-0. and They welcome Penn State this week. We'll get into that later on uh, in the week. But, Carter, your just your initial takeaways as it's Monday afternoon after the Auburn win against San Jose State, what'd you like, what'd you not like from this game against San Jose State? Well, I liked, uh, I think the running backs are still the running backs, and they're still great. And then on defense, um, D- D-line was better. Uh, got got some pressure. Uh, Ekuliota still one of my favorites, but my guy Keontae Scott. Keontae Scott is that dude on this Auburn defense. Uh, what I didn't like: um, lack of consistency at quarterback, lack of explosiveness uh, in the passing game. Thought the the offensive line at times kind of struggled with this San Jose State front that uh, is better than Mercer's, but it's still not. Um, a power five defensive line, and then the the secondary at times lost some one on ones, lost some battles with San Jose State's receivers. A lot of face guarding um, that sets you up for a lot of penalties. I will say the play that that was encouraging, one of the last pass attempts of the game, Donovan Kaufman down near near the end zone had a guy one on one, was face guarding him for most of the play, but got his head around. Punched the ball out, uh, punched it away, and that was encouraging. I think I think the safeties, Donovan Kaufman, Zion Puckett, uh, they've been pretty decent so far. I like both of them. I think both of them have made improvements, especially Donovan Kaufman because thought at times he got picked on last year. Uh, Keontae Scott continues to be that guy, though. Picked up a sack. Got his first sack as a nickel-slash-corner on the Auburn uh, defense. Yes, he did. The things that I liked from Auburn's win on Saturday, like you mentioned, the run game. I think, obviously, Auburn has two of the best running backs in all of college football with Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter. Offensive line has been pretty solid. I don't think there's too much to complain about what they have done in their performance through two weeks. Has it been great? No. But it hasn't been bad. It's been... It's been... Okay to solid. It's been okay, yeah. Okay to solid. The, the offensive line is not really what anybody's complaining about through two weeks. So I, I'm liking their their improvement because I think it is an improvement. I like the Auburn defensive line. I'm liking what I'm seeing from those guys. Now, what I don't like from Saturday, there's unfortunately there's a lot more of dislikes than there are likes with yeah. Auburn's win over San Jose State. Um, the secondary still concerns me because again. 
They got picked apart on Saturday, and especially in between the numbers, San Jose State found something, and they ran, not ran with it, they threw all over in between the numbers. It stood out to me that we saw a lot more run out there for Keontae Scott and DJ James, Mm -hmm. because you would have expected a lot of Nehemiah Pritchett and Jalen Simpson, and they were still out there a lot, but DJ James in Game 2 in Auburn, Keontae Scott in what week four on campus week five on campus they're start their playing time is increasing each week and then my other my other negatives auburn's minus four in the turnover battle mm-hmm. two weeks and it just doesn't feel like this defense is really like dj james almost had a pick but it doesn't feel like they're really sniffing getting turnovers and, and that's where and i that was has to happen when your offense is as limited as it is and that's where i was going was the secondary concerns me because yet again they don't know when the football's coming their way they're going to get picked apart if they don't fix it and on the defensive side again like you said they're minus four in turnovers they have not forced a turnover yet through two weeks against two inferior opponents for what we thought and that is concerning on the defensive side now the offensive side of course, is the wide receivers who have shown through two weeks that they're not able to get open yet. They're not able to beat defenders and make plays offensively and help out the quarterbacks who, yet again, have struggled and have not shown that they are capable of beating high-quality opponents. And I think that's a big room for concern right now. The quarterbacks for Auburn, yet again, here we are, coming into week three, we still don't know who Auburn's quarterback is, and we don't even know if there's a quarterback on the roster that is capable of winning big-time football games for Auburn. Let's head to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Dan, you're on the line. Welcome in. Hey, guys. Hey, Dan. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Um, I was at the game and uh, had to lose my voice pretty much when I didn't expect <laughs> to have to do that. <laughs> but, but that's okay. Well, what you got um, for us, man? Yeah, I'm trying to stay positive about everything. I think one thing is the quarterback's are covering well in terms of being in position to make a play. Mm-hmm. They just are not looking back and making the play. I agree. I mean, there, there was there was very few times where the guys weren't there to make the tackle, whatever. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you've already given the eight yard, nine yard catch, and you're, you know, I mean, they were slanting us to death for whatever reason. However, we were covering that. You know, I don't know if we were worried about them beating us over top, but I know one of their receivers was six four two twenty, and maybe he was giving us some trouble. I'm not sure, but. um you know, and, and I thought in offense, we didn't really, you know, whether we had time or not, we just didn't try to stretch the field very much, you know, which makes me think that we're obviously just don't want to put that out there right now, you know. You know, yeah, I mean, I mean, we have guys on the team that can go up and get it, and we're not even trying to throw it to them. Right, and, and that's where I, I have the question, is this a – a, a quote-unquote strategy from Brian Harson through two weeks to just not try to show everything. But, uh, Dan, I'll be honest with you, through two weeks, I don't know if we're capable of doing those types of things because yeah. they're not even doing these simple, smaller things correctly. They've had four turnovers on offense. There's, there's a significant concern for me with the lack of explosiveness in the passing game. And if Auburn doesn't show significant improvement in that, I think it's going to be a long season on offense because I think you're going to see you're going to see teams sell out for the run and tell these quarterbacks for Auburn to to nickel and dime them down the field, beat them with their arm. And I'm not sure these two guys have shown enough consistency to do that on the defensive side. 
I agree with you. I mean, it, it felt like the DBs were in the right spot. They just yeah. weren't getting their head around. I agree. Which, which at times in the past with Auburn has been an issue. I miss, I miss those 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 days, those few years when you had Kevin Steele, and Auburn would walk up and they'd press you to death, and they'd say. Can your guy beat our guy one-on-one? And Auburn had the dudes to do that. What you saw on Saturday, you saw Auburn playing way back, like 10 yards off the ball at times, and it just like, I don't, I don't love that. I want to see, see a little more physicality, a little more, um, a little more competitive edge out of the secondary. Yeah. No, no I, I agree with that. Uh, you know, I, I still think a lot of it is the play calling – and I think that's what makes me think that we're just obviously not showing a lot, which we always, which happens at this time of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have to show something, then why show it? But you know, if you run on first down ninety-five percent of the time, I don't know if we've thrown a ball on first down this year, and you're running uh, sixty to seventy percent of the time on second down, and most of your passes come on, say sixty to seventy percent are coming on third down or on second. You know, it's like you're kind of the team, the defense already knows kind of what you're doing, and you're still trying to, you know, force a yeah, just yeah, for something that's obviously there's no deception right now. Now that makes me think, you know, I'm just hoping for the best here that there's a lot of deception and a lot of stuff that's going to happen. You know, when you don't do any toss sweeps to the outside and you don't do any, you know, it's like pretty much been just pound the middle, pound the middle, pound the middle. You know, I know there's a heck of a lot more in that playbook. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Dan. And and again. I think it in my question, and Dan, we appreciate the call uh, here on the Monday edition of On the Line. My question becomes, is this a strategy from Brian Harson, or is this a lack of capability from the Auburn offense? We haven't seen many crazy plays, explosive plays, exciting plays, or valuable, effective plays from this offense. Is it a strategy from Brian Harson, or is it a lack of capability from the offense? I'm leaning towards the second option here, man. It's a combination of both. You, You probably don't want to show a ton with these first two weeks, but then again, like, you have these guys that you've talked a ton about in fall camp in this receiving core, and Coy Moore, Camden Brown, Landon King got a bunch of buzz in the spring coming into fall camp, and they just simply, they simply aren't on the field, and that's and they aren't getting targeted, and that's puzzling to me. Is like how is how is that how is that taking place? Because you you are looking for somebody. You're looking for somebody to step up and be your number one option in the pass game, and I'm not sure Auburn has one. Nobody has shown that capability. Nobody has shown. Nobody has stepped up, and and the quarterbacks have not consistently gotten them the ball. And you saw Harson talk about it today, where he said, I believe, when they asked him about lack of involvement with the with the receiving core, he said, "Well, our guys aren't throwing are throwing them the ball, and they need to throw our guys the ball." Well, that seems like a problem as you head into Power Five play. As I you would head, say so. As you head into and you play a a Penn State team with talent, a defense with talent, a with a first. I'm going to continue to harp on it because it scares me to death with this game on Saturday. There's going to be a first rounder in that secondary, and if you challenge him because you you haven't been consistent enough with where you put the ball, and you don't have you haven't shown you have guys that can win one on one matchups. You might throw a couple picks while targeting Joey Porter Jr. You may have to just stay away from him the whole game. And that could eliminate an entire receiver on any given play. And I'm still not sure the other guys are capable of winning the one-on-one matchups to be effective in the passing game. 
And the reason that I say that it's Auburn having the lack of capability on offense right now is because through two games, let's say Brian Harson is hiding the good stuff, right? Let's say, like Dan was saying, there's got to be more in the playbook than what we've seen so far. And I agree with that. But through two games, if Brian Harson is hiding a lot of this stuff and just not exposing themselves through two weeks against Mercer and San Jose State, you shouldn't have to. But Auburn is struggling to do the simple plays right, to make the simple plays and not turn the football over in the simplicity of the offense against Mercer and San Jose State. And so the question then becomes, if they can't do these things right and they can't keep the ball to themselves against Mercer and San Jose State, how in the world are they going to do it against Penn State, LSU, Georgia, whoever they play in the SEC How are they going to do it against those teams if they can't do the simple things right against these two smaller opponents? And that is what worries me because, sure, Brian Harson may be holding stuff back and he may want to release it against Penn State and some of these other teams, but how in the world is he going to have any confidence to do that if he can't trust his quarterback to throw the football to the right player? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a a big ask when you see on Saturday, all of a sudden, you're going to have to rely on guys like Camden Brown and Coy Moore who have barely touched the ball in-game this year, and you're going to say, hey, go up against a legitimate Power 5 defense, a Power 5 defense that's a heck of a lot better than what we've seen in the first two weeks. Can you win your matchup, and then can the quarterback put the ball in your hands and allow you to make plays? I, I have serious, serious, serious concerns. We're going to talk about it a lot more as the week goes on. Hour number two underway here on ESPN 106.7. When we come back, we'll do question of the day. Winners and losers from week two of college football. Later on, we'll talk to Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. Stay tuned. This is On the Line on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back here on the Monday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Carter, let's do winners and losers from week two. That's going to kind of be the question of the day here. We'd love to hear from you as well, 334-321-1390. Your biggest winner and your biggest loser from week two, and then I'll give mine. I mean, I have a few, though. That's the problem. Well, okay, you can do a few. All right, well, biggest winner, I'm going to go with... Kentucky because Kentucky Kentucky did what they needed to do what people doubted without their star running back they went into Gainesville against a team that everybody just anointed as potentially the biggest threat to Georgia after week one I mean and everybody anointed Anthony Richardson as like Cam Newton (laughs) 2.0 we've heard that too you joke Urban Meyer literally said that. I know he did. That's why I'm saying that. I know. He literally did an interview where he said his good friend Dan Mullen told him that Anthony Richardson is the most talented quarterback he's ever coached, and he's coached, what, Tebow and and Cam Newton and Dak Prescott. And he said he is faster, stronger, and has a better arm than Cam Newton. And if you're going to make that statement – why the heck aren't you playing the guy last year when your job's on the line? Yeah. Hmm. That felt odd and weird, but Kentucky, absolutely, they are they are my winner of the week. My loser. Um, Losers. 
I'm gonna go with A&M. I'm gonna let you pick pick the other one because A&M legitimately, legitimately seven and fives on the table, and I just want to see. I want to watch the Aggies squirm when they try to figure out. We just gave this man a hundred million dollars, and it's fully guaranteed. And he's getting worse with more talent. He's he is pulling a John Calipari. He's doing less with more than anybody else in the country. What does this look like for the whole year? Because the offensive line's bad. Haynes King's awful. Jimbo Fisher's not the quarterback whisperer that he was with Jameis Winston and EJ Manuel and Christian Ponder. I mean, he had three straight first round quarterbacks. Christian Ponder's awful, by the way. But um, yeah. I mean, those have to be your my first winner and loser from this weekend. My winner from week two in college football, it's Tennessee, man. Tennessee, they beat Pittsburgh 34-27 on the road. Uh, their offense looks good. Defense looks good enough, I think. Uh, of course, Pittsburgh is a good team. They have a good offense themselves, and... They win in overtime, so yet again they show that they can go and beat, and yet again I say in this season, they can go and win a tough game on the road at Pitt against a a good offense. And I think Tennessee, I've said this for years, and I have especially said it on this show, until Tennessee shows it to me, I'm not going to buy in and believe in the program. But through two games, Josh Heupel has done something with Tennessee we haven't seen in a couple of years. And so for me, Tennessee is my big winner in week two because they look solid and they look like that they are actually ready to maybe, I'm not buying 100% in, so don't come yelling at me in a few weeks if they lose, but they are showing to me that they are trying to come back and compete in the SEC East. Tennessee is my big winner in week two. And then, oh man, (laughs) my loser, my big loser in in week two, man, there's a couple of them, right? There's a couple ways you could go with this. Of course, Texas A&M is a fantastic pick because of how they played against App State at home. Pick somebody else, come on. I know, I know. There's so many. Oh, I know. We can talk about them all. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you could go with Notre Dame, losing at Marshall, or losing at home against Marshall. You have to go there. And that's exactly where I'm going to go is Notre Dame because now you're 0-2 to start the season, and this entire ship has just been – it's it's on the way down already, and you lose at home. That's big for Notre Dame anyway. Then you lose against Marshall, who they're Marshall, and they hold you to 21 points at home. You lose 26-21, and Marcus Freeman is now 0-3 to start his Notre Dame tenure. First Notre Dame coach in history to start 0-3. That's worth saying something. Yep. And then when you look at the schedule, the schedule doesn't get easier. It, it gets you a get, lot tougher. One, your quarterback's out for the year. Two, you get Cal this weekend, which if you want to watch a gross football game between two offenses that literally can't move the football, it's going to be that game right there. You're going to have the backup quarterback at Notre Dame with an offense that already can't move the ball, and Cal, who hasn't scored a touchdown, it feels like, since... Aaron Rodgers was in school. Yeah. Uh, then they have to go on the road to UNC. They can't score. I know UNC's defense is bad. They can't score enough to stay in there. Nope. Then you get a bye week. Then you get BYU in Las Vegas. BYU's a better team. Then you get Stanford, who's starting to figure some stuff out at home. You go at Syracuse. Syracuse is better right now than, than Notre Dame. Clemson at home. Clemson's going to beat you. And then you go at USC at the end of the year. This is a really, really bad season for Notre Dame, and it's going to spiral very, very quickly. I agree. And let me tell you this. You know who another winner is for me 
And Ooh. it's not because they won on Saturday, because they definitely did not. But this may be a weird take, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Nebraska. And here's why. You lose to Georgia Southern. You're now 1-2. Scott Frost is officially gone. I think that's a win for Nebraska because at this point, Scott Frost has been there too long. He has shown he cannot get it done anywhere. And so I think way, way deep, deep down, this is a win for Nebraska. This is not the way they wanted it to happen. But with Scott Frost out of Nebraska, they can go and try to find somebody that can maybe try to help okay. them rebuild this program and try try to get back to what they want to be. They're not going to for a long, long time. But Scott have, Frost is gone from Nebraska, and I think that's a good thing for the program. Not only are they one and two, and that's why I'm going to pick them as a loser, I have seven and a half million reasons why they're also a loser. Because you could wait and do this in three weeks, still be the first first team to market looking for a coach, and you would have saved seven and a half million dollars. Yeah. Because you aren't beating Oklahoma next week. I don't care who the coach is. Yeah, but I think after losing to Georgia Southern, how do you keep him? I mean, all I mean, you've you have done you, everything. You know you're getting rid of him. That's fine. You can save seven and a half. Now, if you don't go out there and show that you're willing to spend top dollar for a massive name coach, and you if you get to a point where you cry, you cry poor. We don't have the money to buy somebody out and bring bring the guy in that we want then you look like the biggest idiot in college football. You have to go spend the money now. If you don't, it's embarrassing because you could have waited three weeks and saved $7.5 million. Maybe somebody just came forward and, and gave it to him anyway. Maybe, they, they, <laughs> you know they, what I mean? They have <laughs> they have money, but but they better not cry poor at any point. My, my other winner, my other winner, BYU. Yep. BYU, and when you look what at a game. This, what a game, this by the way. BYU schedule. I mean, they beat Baylor at home. When you look at this BYU schedule, we're going to start talking about BYU as a playoff contender because this week they go to Oregon. I, if they win at Oregon, you're going to have two top 25 wins. And then in a few weeks, they go to South Bend. They're better than Notre Dame. Then they get Arkansas at home. And that's a tough ask for Arkansas. It's at the end of a four-game stretch where Arkansas, I believe, has to play A&M, Alabama, and at Mississippi State all in a row. And that game doesn't that, that game doesn't mean as much to Arkansas because it's not a conference game. There is a path for BYU to be sitting here in the playoff discussion around mid-October. And with... The ACC not being good with the Pac-12 not being good. There's a legitimate chance they could find themselves in a Cincinnati scenario where if a couple of conferences can't give a legitimate representative, BYU could find themselves, you're 100% right, in that playoff conversation. Now, they got to win these games and they got to finish the season, but if, there's a chance. If BYU makes the playoff, does the Big 12 tout it as as an appearance for them, basically, because they're going to be in the conference in like six months? I mean, they can try, but it's not technically. So, I mean, they could try, but it's not going to be a Big 12 berth. Didn't Cincy run out of the tunnel in their opener against Arkansas, or somebody ran out of the tunnel with a Big 12 flag and they're in the American? Oh, I didn't see that. I don't know. That's I don't know. I didn't see that. So, no, I mean, I think BYU has a chance. I still think they have some tough games on the schedule. They've shown out early, but they've still got to win big games throughout the schedule. But if they do that, and again, if some of these other conferences can't put up a legitimate contender, you could see that conversation. There's no doubt.
Stay tuned. We're going to talk to Jacob Hillman from the Auburn Sports Network when we come back here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7. Well, as always, on Monday afternoons, we have Jacob Hillman from the Auburn Sports Network here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Hillman, how are you? How was your weekend, man? I'm doing great. It was a good weekend. Uh, Auburn got the W. It was it was a slow start, but getting the W is a big one. And and obviously, you know, not not a long weekend like week one, but it was still a good weekend. NFL's back. Well, Hillman, let's jump right into it as Auburn beats San Jose State on Saturday. Uh, you you're not lying. It wasn't uh, it wasn't pretty at times. It was a 24 to 16 win for Auburn over San Jose State. Before we dive into the details, your initial reaction to Auburn's win on Saturday. Yeah, like I said, slow start, but I think the response in the second half was a positive one where uh, Auburn came out. They were down at the half and, uh, and and was able to find some success offensively as well as on the defensive side uh, in that second half. Uh, T.J. only threw that interception in the first quarter, which I, I thought was a mixture of being a little bit late on the throw, but also a good play by the defender. You know, When those two things mix, obviously uh, the defense is going to get the upper hand on that, so um, not not the best throw in the world, not the best decision, but uh, he bounced back, and TJ had uh, a decent rest of the game uh, with that rushing touchdown. But I think the big thing is you've got to you've got to get Tank uh, Tank Bigsby the ball more uh, than you did in the first half. I think he had less than ten rushing yards going to going into halftime. That can't happen again. Uh, you're going to find yourself in another tough situation uh, if you do going forward, especially against this Penn State team. Jacob, we had this discussion last week. And it persisted this week. Where are all these receivers that we've heard so much about? Where's Corey Moore? Where's Landon King? Where's Camden Brown? And because Auburn's going to need those guys because you're not getting a ton of production out of the receiving core. Where are those guys? And why aren't we seeing them them produce in game? Right. It's interesting because Malcolm Johnson Jr., I think he was a little banged up. So Coy Moore got the start for him uh, the other day. So in a way, you're seeing them, but they're just not getting involved in the passing game. They're mm-hmm. on the field. they just got to get open. Uh, Coy Moore, he had one reception for 13 yards. Landon King, uh, he he was he participated a little bit, but he was only targeted once and wasn't able to come down with the catch. And, that, and that's something I've seen is that uh, the tight ends were targeted a lot more on Saturday. John Samuel Shanker had three catches, including a big fourth down conversion. Brandon Fa- Frazier had a catch. And then Landon King, Tyler Fromm, Luke Deal, they were all targeted and uh, were – uh, participating in the game. So it was interesting to see the different types of formations that Auburn was running. Uh, you saw other guys out there. Omari Kelly got some playing time. Jay Fair got playing time. Uh, Camden Brown did too, but like I said, he didn't get the targets that uh, we expected to see. So I don't know if maybe it's maybe, – maybe Auburn's been a little conservative in the first few weeks, but I, I think that uh, you, you're going to have to see someone step up uh, going forward once you get into this Penn State game and then SEC play because – Javarius Johnson, he, he's been your most consistent playmaker, had another solid game on Saturday, three receptions for 41 yards, including the one to set up the T.J. Finley rushing touchdown. But outside of that, there's some inconsistency. Uh, Shed Jackson is your other reliable guy. He had a reception for 17 yards. But, you know, you really want to see more guys do more things than just the three 
Johnson, Shanker, and Jackson. You, you need more than that uh, to be successful in the SEC. We're speaking with Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Hillman, we saw the secondary for Auburn on Saturday get attacked yet again through the middle of the field a lot. And at times, again, we saw where some of the secondary guys, they didn't really know when the football was being thrown their way. Not that they weren't in position to make plays, but at times they weren't turning around trying to make a play on the football. Does that concern you through two weeks that we've seen Mercer and San Jose State go after the secondary a little bit throwing the football? Yeah, I think my bigger concern is a few of the pass interference that that, uh, that were called because I, I think that, that is part of what you're saying is not getting turned around and and sorts like that. Um, a guy that we're seeing a lot out there is DJ James, the transfer from Oregon. He's getting a lot of playing time. Uh, Keontae Scott, he's out there flying around. He, he's, he's been a playmaker in the run game as well as uh, getting a sack on Saturday. So it, it's going to be th- those type of guys that have to step up in the passing game because, like I said, I think Auburn's in a really good spot uh, defending the run, once again giving up. I mean, 54 rushing yards. San Jose State passes the ball a lot, so that that is part of it. But it was the same deal against Mercer, where you're not giving up a lot of rushing yards. So I want to see. Uh, I thought that the pass rush was fine. It, it's more about those uh, defensive backs making sure they fo- locate the, the football and uh, get their heads around. Because I think that was part of why two. I think two of the pass interferences were called simply because of that. I don't think there was a ton of contact, but. If they get their heads turned around, I don't know if the flag gets thrown. It still might, but I just I just want to see more. I want to see a turnover. I think that's the big thing. I think I predicted that a second quarter uh, uh, a sack uh, fumble would have happened, but there were still no turnovers in that first game. So, you know, if you're waiting, might as well wait for the SEC play as well as Penn State. So um, we'll, we'll see if the defensive backs can maybe get an interception or a defensive lineman can knock the ball loose from Sean Clifford this Saturday. Jacob, we saw a little more uh, with penalties. We saw a little sloppier game from Auburn. You saw John Samuel Schinker rack up a few penalties. What should we – is that a concern going forward? Is that well, You saw seven penalties on offense for 58 yards, which when your offense is not, is not exactly clicking on all cylinders, you can't have that. Should that be something that Auburn fans are concerned about going forward? Yeah, for, for Auburn fans, I, I don't think – you should be concerned. I think it could have just been. I, I mean, I don't even know. It, that was so uncharacteristic of a guy like John Samuel Shanker to have three or four penalties in the game. I think several of them were holding. Uh, you're not going to see that from him very often. I, th- I think the coaches will correct that. I don't know if it was just the guys not getting up for the game, not being right. Whatever it was, we didn't see that in game one. So that's that's something you can look back on and think, okay, this is this is new and hopefully a one-off thing. You can't have it happen against Penn State. If it happens again against Penn State, then obviously it does become a concern. But, I mean, that, that almost seemed like an epidemic across college football. You saw Alabama at 11 a.m. against Texas racking up penalties. So, I, I don't know. I think that you're okay going forward. It's not it's not the end of the world to have a game like that as long as you survive. Um, but it's definitely something that um, the coaches will address this week and – and I think they really did at halftime as well. I, I, the penalties slowed down a little bit in the second half, but you still saw some that were, you know, middle mistakes that you, you, you shouldn't be seeing from experienced guys like a John Samuel Schenker. We're speaking with Jacob Hillman here on the Monday edition of On the Line from the Auburn Sports Network. Let's talk to quarterbacks because yet again, here we are after an Auburn football game. We're two weeks into the season and we still have question marks. We still have concerns about 
who the legitimate uh, starter is going to be for the rest of the season, uh, their performances, and we have two interceptions from one from each quarterback. What's going on with this quarterback room right now for Auburn? Yeah, well, we saw after Ashford threw that first interception, he really didn't throw the ball that much later on. I mean, his, his complete stat line, he, he only had one yard passing. Uh, with he, only threw it, he only threw it three times. Right, it, so it's got, it kind of shows you what I think the coaching staff is looking at going forward. I don't, I don't think Robbie Ashford is going to be I – also, I think the depth chart changed where it, it had an or with the QB1, but now it's back to just C.J. Finley as your starting quarterback. So you, you really got to think that Robbie Ashford is only going to be in for uh, run packages, and he will throw the ball a little bit, but that's going to be you know trying to catch a defense off guard and, and, and to those sort of things. I thought T.J. Finley was okay outside of that interception, and like I said, I thought it was a pretty good play by the defensive back of San Jose State, but uh, it's just more of seeing what Auburn can do going downfield. I mean, his, I think Finley's longest pass is like 25 yards, and that's what set up that uh, t- touchdown run for him. I want to see uh, more shots downfield like we saw in week one from both Ashford and Finley. Yeah, Once we I- see that, go ahead. Yeah, I mean that's that's something that you haven't seen in these first two games in my mind against I mean against two lesser opponents. The passing game does not feel explosive and that's a concern for me as we move into these bigger games. Is that a concern for you just cuz it doesn't feel like Auburn is really making any sort of an effort to push the ball down the field. Now, what I'll say is I think that could be that could fall more on the receivers that we talked about a little bit earlier. I think the quarterbacks from what they've shown, they can't throw a good deep ball. Both both Ashford and Finley completed those in the first uh, game against Mercer. Um, Finley for a touchdown, I think, or Ashford for a touchdown, and Finley's wasn't quite a touchdown. So it might be more about the receivers getting open. And, you know, guys like Javarius Johnson, he has gotten open, so he's the guy that's been the most reliable of the receiver room. Uh, but I want to see Chick Dawson do the same thing. I want to see Camden Brown light it up like he did during fall camp. And even the tight ends as well. Find a wheel route for Tank Bixby or, or John Samuel Shanker when he's on, uh, he's on a linebacker that he's a little bit quicker than. Do, do something like that just to open up the passing game and, and have TJ or Robbie, whoever it is, that quarterback, uh, uh, gain some confidence. You know, I, don't, I think that the intermediate routes and short routes do that as well, but uh, I think you've got to find an explosive factor in the passing game uh, going forward. Jacob, let's start previewing this Week 3 matchup with Penn State. Uh, what can you tell us about the Nittany Lions as they come to Jordan-Hare on Saturday? Yeah, obviously the big thing is that they return their starting quarterback and, 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 and several starters from last year. They lost. So, you know, if we remember last year, Sean Clifford had a heck of a game. I mean, he, he, he was 28 for 32, I think, in that game. That's, that's the number I remember. Uh, but they don't have... Uh, and Noah Kane anymore. He's actually at LSU, so we'll still see him just further down the road. Uh, but their new running back, Singleton, Nicholas Singleton, he, he's running the ball well uh, for them, and he had a, uh, a big game. I think it was 100 yards, 179 yards against Ohio, and that, that's really something that Auburn's going to have to clog up. They haven't had to face a tough running back yet in these first two games. The San Jose State's more of a passing team. I don't think Mercer really was set on a running back. So, uh, that'll be a challenge for the defensive line as you also want to see them get to the quarterback. Um, I, I just think that if, if you if you clog up the running holes, the running lanes, then you're going to be in a good spot uh, in some third and longs where uh, Clifford has to sit back there for a few seconds to wait for his receivers to get to the first down marker and get open. So 
Um, that, that's what I'm looking for from Auburn's defense is just to clog up his running lanes and make sure uh, Singleton doesn't have a big game like he did against Ohio, which, like I said, Auburn's defensive line against Ohio is going to be a little bit different, but him showing that success is something that, uh, that that's the focus for me going into this game. Jacob, on the on the defensive side of the ball for, for Penn State, they've got a first-rounder out there at corner. Mm-hmm. I think what you're going to see on Saturday is this Penn State team put a bunch of guys in the box and dare the Auburn quarterbacks to beat them with their arms. And that's a legitimate concern for me because I'm not sure we have seen enough out of these receivers when winning one-on-one battles, and we've seen enough consistency out of the quarterbacks for that to happen. Is that something you're going to be watching, you're concerned about going into Saturday? A little bit, but I also look back to week one when Hayden O'Connell uh, threw for 365 yards against Penn State. Now, that was also on 60 pass attempts, and he only completed 30 of them. But he also found Charlie Jones 12 times for 153 yards. That 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 gives me some confidence that, hey, who knows? T.J. Finley and Javarius Johnson could be up for a big day. Or, who knows? Camden Brown might have his coming out party. Chad Jackson might have a big game. It, yes, it is, because I think that Penn State has a very talented defensive backfield. Like you said, there's a first-rounder back there. But I also think that there are ways to uh, find holes in the defense, find holes in the zone. And uh, and I think Finley's only getting more and more confident. Like I said, I think, I think that interception against San Jose State wasn't as bad as either of the interceptions against Mercer. So uh, as long as he keeps working on making better decisions, then I, I think Auburn uh, can find – can find some soft spots and zones as well as some man beaters uh, to really open up the pass game. I think that's going to be the key. If you, if you open the pass game, I, I trust Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter to to do their thing on the on the ground, but they're not going to be able to do that in the second half. If there's no pass game to help them out. Well, Jacob, you talked about it a little bit just then, but for Auburn on Saturday against Penn State, they're three-point underdogs at home. What does Auburn have to do? Again, just kind of reiterate that, if you will. What do they have to do successfully to get the win against Penn State and then ultimately your prediction for Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I I think for Auburn's defense, it's all about the run, and I think for Auburn's offense, it is about the pass. I think you you pass the ball a little bit, and technically might run wild. You clog up the run, a little bit on the defensive side, Sean Clifford might make a few mistakes. And those can be difference makers. You know, if Tank breaks one for 50 yards after a Sean Clifford interception, that flips the game completely no matter what the score is at that point. So I, I really, really uh, think that Auburn can can come out and can get to a fast start, unlike last week, because last week was just – I don't know what it was in the first half, but – you cannot do that against Penn State. They will take advantage if you don't start off fast. Well, Hillman, we appreciate you and your time, as always, coming on the show, man. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and everything you're doing with the Auburn Sports Network. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Jacob Hillman AU. Obviously, turn in, tune in to Tiger Talk on Thursday night at 6 Central, and our coverage begins at 11.30 a.m. on Saturday for Auburn and Penn State. Wear your orange if you're going to Jordan-Hare Stadium. All Auburn, all orange. We're looking forward to it, man. We'll talk to you on Monday next week, and uh, War Eagle to you, friend. Thank you, guys. War Eagle. That's Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network here on the Monday edition of On the Line. We'll come right back and wrap up this Monday uh, afternoon here on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. 
Wrapping up the Monday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Hey, reminder of the ESPN 106.7 SEC Football Challenge. The Week 2 winner has been announced. It's Perry Wood from Auburn. So congratulations, uh, Perry. Went 11 out of 12 uh, games correctly picked over the weekend. So Perry, you're going to win a $25 Johnny Brusco's gift card and a 12-pack of Pepsi. So congratulations uh, to Perry. Make sure you're entering every single week at ESPNAU.com under the contest tab. You can go and submit your picks uh, for week three and all the other weeks of college football. One winner is picked at the end of every single week. You win a couple of prizes. And then the winner at the end of the year at the end of the season, I should say, will win the ultimate prize, the 50-inch 4K Ultra HD Smart TV. Uh, so make sure that you are entering that. That is uh, brought to you by the Orthopedic Clinic, Johnny Brusco's, Wickles Pickles, and Pepsi. So big thank you to them. And again, congratulations to Perry Wood, who is your Week 2 winner of the ESPN 106.7 SEC Football Challenge. Big thank you to Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. Just got off the phone with him talking about Auburn against San Jose State previewing Auburn versus Penn State coming up this Saturday. Like he mentioned, it is all orange. So if you're going to the game at Jordan-Hare Stadium, kickoff at 2.30. Of course, it's the CBS game. You can wear orange and do that. But big thank you to Jacob Hillman from the Auburn Sports Network. And back in the first hour, big thank you to Joey Blackwell uh, from Bama Central joining us on Monday afternoon also. So uh, again, we love having those guys on. We appreciate them doing that. If you missed any of today's show, be sure to find the podcast. Just search on the line wherever you get your podcast you can find it uh there or on espnau.com well carter um final take from uh, from the game on saturday auburn versus san jose state for both of us the confidence is not there right now just because i don't think there's been a lot to show and a lot to be confident in so far but just your uh, your final take as we are wrapping up this Monday show. Your final take from Auburn's game against San Jose State on Saturday. Yeah, I think that my final take has to be that the the defense is good enough to compete in the SEC. It's good to compete in just about any game that Auburn plays. I just I don't see it right now with the offense. I don't see it with the passing game. I'll say that passing game just does like the receivers aren't aren't maybe living up to the expectations that we had coming into the year the quarterback play has been inconsistent at times and I I just don't know what it's going to look like when you start playing real teams starting Saturday my concern yeah it's the passing game it's the offense it's the quarterbacks and I just don't know how you struggle through two weeks against Mercer and San Jose State and then all of a sudden you're just going to turn it on and just be good against Penn State Missouri LSU when you start getting into tougher games. And not that those are super, super tough games because you've got to play Georgia, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Texas A&M, and and Alabama on the back end. So not that Penn State or Missouri and LSU are super, super tough games, but it's better than the two teams you've played so far. And at what point do we believe that Auburn on the offensive side is just going to wake up and turn it on and become good offensively? I just don't know where it's at. And so it's sort of my take with a lot of other teams right now and a lot of other programs. Until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. And until Auburn shows me on offense that they can move the ball without having to give it to Tanks Bigsby 50 times a game, which I guess they're just not going to do. 
until Auburn proves to me offensively with a quarterback that's willing and able to go and make plays and win football games, I'm going to be worried and I'm going to have concerns and my confidence level in Auburn is going to be extremely low until they show, until they prove that they can do it on the offensive side of the football. I agree with you. The defense is good enough to keep them in football games. I think the secondary's got to get better and just be a little bit more aware of what's going on. But they can keep Auburn in football games this year. The offense is my concern. And through two weeks, we've not made any progress with the quarterback situation. TJ Finley is your starter, obviously. But we've made no progress on this quarterback battle or on this passing offense. And for me, that's a big concern. That's it for the Monday edition of On the Line. We'll be back tomorrow with more college football talk and a whole lot more. You don't want to miss it. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.